Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to Amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is the Secret Library Podcast, and I can't believe it, but we are at season nine. Welcome back. Today on the Secret Library, my guest is Joanna Penn. She writes nonfiction for authors and is an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today bestselling thriller author as J.F. Penn. She's an award-winning podcaster and creative entrepreneur. Those of you who are long friends of the show will remember Joanna, who's been on before, talking about her books for authors. And these books have been a huge resource, as has the Creative Pen podcast to many of us. But this time, we are going into something a bit a bit more juicy and intense, I have to say. We, we had a lot of juicy talks before about the sort of how-to of being an author and staying healthy as an author. But this time, Joanna has a new book coming out, which is, at the time this episode has released, is on Kickstarter. You'll find out where to support that in the show notes and in the episode. And her book is Writing the Shadow. And we look at the unconscious aspects of ourselves as writers in the process of publishing and, in fact, the shadow aspect of publishing itself. We go into what the shadow is, which is largely the unconscious, the things we're unaware of, the things that are hidden. And in an unusual twist, Joanna turns the tables on me and we look at my own shadows around publication. This is a much more vulnerable episode than I normally do as an interview, but Joanna and I have spoken before and she is an excellent interviewer. So it was very fun to take the interviewee seat in this episode. And I hope that what I discuss resonates with you and is helpful to everyone listening. It's a special pleasure this time to once again introduce Joanna Penn. Hey, Joanna, thank you so much for coming back on. It's been a while. I know. I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic because I know it's close to your heart as well. Oh, 100%. And I just felt like I wanted to talk to you about publishing at the moment because you're so good at keeping up with the trends and what's happening. And and then you wrote a book that was perfect for the topic. So thank you for doing that. Oh, no worries. Well, it's funny because I mean, we're talking about the book, but also the publishing of the book. And as we talk, I'm publishing it on Kickstarter, which I guess isn't new, but I think there is a real trend towards this kind of, of publishing. So we can come back to that. But yes, oh, writing yeah. the shadow. And I mean, I did want to say to you, I know you are a deep writer and a deep thinker, and many of your listeners are. This book has probably taken like, I don't know, 25 years. <laughs> I know. You mentioned that. that I, it's because I think it was, I can tell that there were points you share a lot about your your own life. And mm. I think that so many of your books are wonderful resources and educational. And, and this one was really like, and this is how it applies to me. And I'm not going to hide my real life. So I kind of wanted to start with because traditionally, you're going into the shadow and exploring it has been the realm of J.F. Penn. Mm. And here is Joanna Penn 
going into the shadow. And I'm just wondering how, as you call her in the book, the white horse felt about going into that. I'm not surprised it took her 25 years to get comfortable doing it. Yes. Well, uh, obviously you're not there, but so you mentioned the white horse, so we should explain. So Plato's chariot is the metaphor and uh, Plato, obviously ancient Greek philosopher. And he has this, this metaphor, I guess, of, of a charioteer driving a chariot with two horses. There's a white horse and a dark horse. And I guess the whole point with the shadow as well is that we're not trying to get rid of the shadow. I feel like sometimes people get it wrong. Um, obviously you've studied Jungian psychology, but it's like, we're not trying to say this is what's bad about me and I must get rid of it. What we're trying to do is harness that darkness, that dark horse uh, with the white horse, the the more conscious side, I guess, the more the the side that society looks at. Um, And together as a creative, um, professionally and personally, make them run together in order to be a whole person. You know, Carl Jung says that, you know, how how can I be whole unless I have a shadow? Uh, and by incorporating that into our lives. So I guess, as you say, the white horse of me has been Joanna Penn in the publishing and the writing arena. And I've definitely been very comfortable writing the how to do things. You know, there are very specific ways you can, how to write a novel is that there are these steps and, you know, listeners know that. But the darker horse side, as you say, I've put in my fiction under J.F. Penn. But what I realized early this year and um, I, I hit middle age, which is in the book, you know, this sort of darkness of middle age and realized that there's a lot I haven't necessarily shared and that in this age of AI, maybe we can come back to that. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we really have to do double down on being human. We have to bring our whole selves into our writing. And look, if people are writing self-help, nonfiction books, you don't have to do this, but it is the only way our true humanity is going to come through in our work. And look, you can write a book on the shadow. And I know that will come up in in your psychology of writing Mm -hmm. book in some form, but it's never going to be mine because we are different people. And what I'm urging people, I guess, is to bring that deeper self, the side, the side that perhaps you've kept hidden for a long time into your writing in order to make it richer and to stand out in what is frankly a very busy market and, and to, to so busy. be busier. <laughs> yeah, it's getting busier all the time, which is great. And yeah, there is, I think you even describe it this way at one point in the book, this idea of our fingerprint being on it. And you you reference someone talking about um, ceramics, that if you buy a handmade piece of ceramics that has the mark of the artist on it, it's more valuable than something that's made by machine. And mm. yet we're always pressured, I think, by our education to come up with the machine-made, perfect, slam-dunk, guaranteed book that we can put out there. But is that really what we want? I don't think we do. Well, I think, again, talking about where publishing is now, I mean, we have been for a long time, the concept of the long tail, we've been living in this long tail for a while. And it it used to be, and I think sometimes the myth is still that we have to have a hit, a big hit that hits gets a movie and all of that kind of stuff. But the reality is that we're more living in this long tail, like your podcast, like my podcast. People listen to us week in, week out, or for your seasons, um, Mm -hmm. for who we are. They can listen to plenty of other podcasts about writing, but something about us means that they are listening to our show. They come back for you. People are not listening to this episode for me. They might get a bit, but they're here for you. Oh, I think they're here for you too. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I think this is the point. It's we can, if we try to write something for a market that doesn't tap into who we truly are, and life is short, you know, we have to spend our time writing books that matter. Now, I don't mean that you have to spend the 25 years writing this sort of magnum opus at all. I've written like 45 books now. I write things for fun. You know, my last novel was called Catacomb. It's just a sort of dark horror adventure. Uh, You can write for fun as well. But sometimes I think the important thing is bringing your your true self, like you said, your fingerprints into books. So like Catacomb is about um, a father 
who has to save his daughter from a monster in the catacombs under Edinburgh. And I, when I look at the themes of my books, the father-daughter relationship is a really strong one. And I know some people listening will resonate with that. So I think that's the thing. It's like, okay, I want to write a monster horror book, but how do we bring elements of ourselves into that to make them, uh, to make the book stronger and appeal to people in that more personal way? For sure. Because I think... And this is this is a huge pressure as well. I definitely felt this earlier on in my writing career. I felt this pressure to write literary fiction. I think we think, oh, that's what you have to do. That's how you're a quote real writer. But then I look at what I read, something that you have often advised people to do, and I just love murder. I can't get enough of <laughs> Me murder, too. right? <laughs> Bit of murder. I mean, as I've shared on my my other little substack, my grandmother's way of swearing was to say, oh, murder. Oh. I love to this day. But so why spend all of this effort trying to shoehorn yourself into someone you're not, waste all of this energy when you could be exploring everything that you're so excited about and put it out there? And I think it's because, as you touched on in your book, a lot of us don't want to be unmasked. Mm. I don't mind that everybody knows that I'm fascinated by murder, but I'm sure there are people whose loved ones, family and friends might be shocked by that. Just like I know you love medical museums and all kinds of fascinating stuff, which I also find fascinating. But, but maybe not everybody is as fascinated with the topics that we love. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I think it's also important here to say that your shadow side is not necessarily the love of murder or evil <laughs> or darkness or like it's not necessarily those yeah. things. I like I give the example in the book, but for me, I, in the process of writing this book, I obviously discovered quite a lot about myself. And one of the things I realized is that lazy is a real... Oh shadow yeah and I think I so I mean, resonated with that one <laughs> I know and I've had so many emails because I shared it on my podcast I was like oh my goodness lazy it's a trigger word for me and this is a little sign you know when things trigger you they make you react and so lazy is this big thing if someone calls me lazy I just I go nuts because I am not lazy <laughs> you know I work super hard all the time and the problem and I guess the I think what's interesting about the shadow side is look, not being lazy is considered a good thing by our society, but we take it too far. So I struggle to relax. I struggle not to work. And this is kind of endemic in our in our society. But it then goes further because I will judge people who are seen to be lazy, even like people out in the park who might be having fun. Uh, I'll be like, well, if they're not just exercising, if they're just having fun, well, that's lazy. And, you know, so I struggle with things like having fun, which is kind of interesting. And you're, you're nodding. Um, and it's it's these ty types of things. It's like if I just um, just do that, if I react against being lazy and don't address that, then I will burn out. And burnout is a huge problem in, in the writing community. So I think, yeah, I, I realize I've gone away from your point about murder, but no, I think it's, it's important to kind of consider, look, there are things we love. And I think when you recognize what you do love, that means it's fine. It's come out the dark. And in fact, I was talking to someone about this. I've realized that the dark things are not in my shadow because I acknowledge them. Death is not in my shadow. But what I have discovered is that wanting to control death mm. is in my shadow. It's like, well, um, so I support charity, dignity and dying around, um, you know, assisted suicide when you're at that point in your life, because I am petrified of dying without being in control and mm. so I guess we're coming here to what triggers you what are you afraid of um, and I know you're writing a lot about the different fears that writers have so I guess um, I'm going to challenge you around what are some <laughs> aspects of your shadow Caroline that are not Ooh, I love <laughs> it when interviewer <laughs> strikes back it's like podcaster versus podcaster um, I think I mean I definitely share the lazy one I mean, mm. I grew up in America. You can't. Yeah. You, you can take the girl out of America, but it's very hard. It's taken years of being in Europe to, to sort of realize that it doesn't have to be so intense. Um, I think the other one, we have very similar ones. I was reading through the, the one that you brought up that I was like, ooh, was this need to be independent mm. and need to be in control and the needing to be in charge. Um, 
I am very much the one in my relationship who obsesses over bank statements and looks at financial statements and I deal with our accountants and the taxes and all of this. And because I am so afraid of not being in control in that area. Mm. And that's interesting. I, uh, as you say, you had this ooh reaction. And I think another way of using the word trigger, because it can be quite emotional itself, the word triggering, yeah. but um, it's that charge or that reaction. Yeah. So you read it and went, ooh, and you recognized <sighs> yourself in it. And I think like in the book, I have a lot of questions um, because of course it's different for everyone. And there are some commonalities, um, but yeah, you're exactly right. And the control thing's really interesting because I do, and I'm I don't know how I I was worried that I might be too honest in this. And I did have a reader read it and say, have I destroyed my my life by putting a lot of this stuff out there? And they said, no. No, um, I don't think so either. I think you came across as a human being. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I did say I'm going to put my flaws in here. But the, the need for independence is a really interesting one. And this is another idea is that, look, you need that dark horse. So we love being independent. This is a really great thing, you know, to be an independent woman. But it, if it goes too far and think about the chariot again, if that dark horse takes control, it can drive you off a cliff. And the whole point is learning how to integrate these sides and in a healthy way and to look for the nuance. So if you go too far into independence, and, and I know this is a problem for me, that's when I'm like, okay, well, I need to push other people away because yeah. um, they could damage me or somehow hurt me. And my first marriage, I was overly controlling of my first husband. And I tried to make him do things in our business that he didn't want to do. And that led to a reaction. And this is, and he left me. <laughs> and, and I'm very happily married for the second time. But And the lessons I learned from that first marriage, even though I know sometimes I have those tendencies are really important to acknowledge. And then they come out of the shadow. We can integrate them into our life and then we can move forward. So talking about publishing, I am an independent mm -hmm. author, independent publisher. And most of the time I will choose to do things myself because I like the control and the independence. But I know I sometimes do that to the detriment of my business when, for example, I should be outsourcing or I should be working potentially with a publisher or some other help. So that's the way to think about our shadow is if we can recognize it, how how is it good? And then how can we integrate the more difficult side in order to improve? And we're all about improvement, right? Oh, of course. I mean, I think another shadow thing, and I kind of just put this together as you were just saying that. So we're having realizations right <laughs> on the show is that I have been in this kind of ping pong mental process about, I, I finished a novel, which I want to put out and I've been, I've sent it to some agents. Everyone's been like, oh, it's lovely, but it's not for us right now. You know, mm -hmm. really nice writing, but whatever, it's not going to match our list. And so then I keep going back and forth between this ping pong of do I want to put this book out traditionally? Do I want to put this book out myself? And then because I'm, that was when I was still kind of writing in a more literary direction. And I have so much fear about being out of control that if I were to get an agent that I would have to choose, like, do I then have to be, if they like this book, do I then have to write more books like that when I'm not really feeling like I want to write those books so much anymore and I'm much more into what I want now? Or if I lean into the ones I'm writing now, does that mean this one that I worked so hard on is never going to exist? And so I've just sort of frozen. I've been like, should I do it myself? Should I do it with them? Uh, 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 uh. And it's just been in this sort of free state for a few months of just... In which state do I feel less in control or less? Mm. It's like both of them, I can see an equal list of pros and cons on both sides. And so then I'm just sat there at the crossroads going eh, 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 back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I think in that situation, like you said, then you're not necessarily going to write more books like that anymore. Mm hmm. But have you, are you now writing those other books? Like you mentioned yeah. the mm -hmm. murder books. So you're writing yeah. those and you feel like that's truly, truly more who you are. Yes. Is that first one, that literary novel, is that your first novel? No. no. It's the first one that I feel is ready to go into the world. Right. I've written probably four or five others that I decided were not ready to go to other. Ooh, ooh, Caroline. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, those are the ones that you feel are not ready. What is it that makes you feel there's something wrong with those books? Um, well, I I think that some of them, I realized that there was a degree of, they, there's different reasons. I mean, one of them I just wrote as a one-off for NaNoWriMo because I just wanted to see if I could write 50,000 words. And it was yeah. ridiculous. And I didn't care about the plot. It was just like an exercise of, can I write that many words? So then the purpose for that was never to put it out. And then there was another one that I think was really a really solid short story idea that was not meant to carry a novel. And so I could did revisit that one. Did you publish it one. as a short story? No, I never did. I only realized it when I was reflecting back on it recently. I'm like, that would have actually been a really great short story. So I feel like I will go back to that as a story. Um, and then other ones, I just, as I, I, I really did NaNoWriMo with them. And then I tinkered with them for a few months afterwards. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right. There was mm. something, I felt like I was not fully connected to what I wanted to do with writing. And then this other one, the one that I finished, I was, it finally felt like it finally clicked in a way that I was like this, I feel emotionally invested. I feel like it's me writing it. I feel like it's not a purely intellectual exercise and it's, it worked. Yeah. But yet you want to move into a different genre from well, that, that one was a, it was a literary fiction novel of family drama uh, that had a mystery in its past. Mm. And I realized I was very happy with the book. I don't want to rewrite it. I think it's a perfectly good book as it is. But what I love most about it was the, the mystery element and that I just wanted to go further and go in that direction. Mm. Oh, goodness. If you were my client. Oh, well. <laughs> Well, okay. So I think there's a few things. Um, and obviously we're doing this in public and people know, can take whatever they like. We, we, we are publishing met. this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't know each other that well. We've met, but you know, we don't really know each other. So I'm just coming from my experience with this yeah. and talking to other people, which is, I would say you have a fear of judgment which mm. I absolutely have also. You mentioned education earlier, and mm. this is a massive problem with over-educated people, of which I am oh. too. I have like oh, I multiple know. degrees like yourself. And when we're over-educated, we have so internalized other people's opinions of what is appropriate, of what is the right thing to write, of what is acceptable. And it's almost like we've not been, we haven't given ourselves permission to put that out there. Um, I and the other thing is if you you also I think have some per perfectionism. Oh, some? <laughs> some. And that and that need for control is also until you publish some of this stuff. And I think I actually would die anyone listening as well, self-publishing a short story. So take that short story, mm. get do a cheap cover on Canva, like a free cover on Canva. Doesn't even need to be that big a deal. Publish something. Mm. on Amazon. Just go on to KDP. So people listening, it's free to publish, you know, publish something, learn the process, put it out there. You will have a heart attack when you press publish and you'll be like, oh my, you can put it under a different name. And this is actually mm. in the book around the yep. shadow, you know, right under a pseudonym, put that first book out there and deal with all the things that come up for you when you publish that. No one needs ever know, but I think what you're going to find is total unblocking of all those feelings that you have around publishing because you will have to deal with them but in a safe way because no no one's going to know that that story is there <laughs> believe me there are millions of things there and then what you might find is well one you'll also have some uh, understanding of what that process is and what I have found and this is another tip in the book is if you care about something so much you need to write more books because you actually need to be emotionally yes. disconnected from mm -hmm. this book. You said you are emotionally invested in this family drama. You said that. And while you're so emotionally invested, you cannot disconnect and treat it like a product, which is what you have to do. And if you license it to an agent and a publisher, it needs to be a product. You need to disconnect. Yep. So what I would say is that would be my recommendation is dig out that short story, publish the damn thing. Seriously, short story or write something else, stick it yeah. up there get it get it done and then uh, because it's fiction right and that's it's a very different that's thing that's the your, difference yeah, yeah like publishing non-fiction doesn't scare me one bit exactly and, and I totally get that <laughs> <laughs> but fiction, that's like my shadow is like fiction because I'm fascinated by this whole process 
Mm. I can write drafts to completion now. I have no fear that I can't finish a mm. book. Like all of the story is there. It's fine. But I do think it's fear of I judgment. Of yeah, I think it, it I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. Because at the, this point, there's a lot riding on it. Like I have a podcast that everyone is listening to right now. <laughs> yeah. You have a reputation. Yeah. But actually, people listening are now going, okay. Maybe I feel that way. Like I met someone a couple of years back now and uh, he was like, oh, I've just written my 28th book. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You must be doing really well. And he's like, no, I haven't published any of them. Oh, yeah. So you say, yeah, but you say that at 28, I was feeling that way when you said you've got like five that you hadn't published because I, what I know of you, you're excellent. You're excellent, Caroline. (laughs) Thank you. You are excellent. So why wouldn't you? publish these things and if you publish a few independently even under yeah. another name then maybe the one that you want to send to an agent you will feel less attached to mm. and it might release you to do more of these other things and also for, for people listening if you're not finishing and putting your work out there no one can ever judge you no one can ever say this is great or this is crap and all of us have one star reviews as well as five star reviews um, but it's almost like if you don't get started, and in fact, if you published all five of your back of the trunk books that you have yeah. there, you'll probably feel a lot better because you'll be like, okay, this is really I don't spreading. even know if I have those files anymore. I mean, they were a lot of them were written like 10 years ago, you know. I don't you know never if they're know. still on the computer. I could look in there. I could look in there and you see could, if they're but, hiding. Um, so, I mean, I publish short stories all all the time, just individual short stories um, mm. on Amazon and Kobo mm. and Apple and all of that for like 99 cents. And there's a lot less riding on it. I also submit them to anthologies and, yeah. and magazines and stuff. But but I think, again, because your show is mainly primarily literary and mm-hmm. has focused on traditional publishing, there is such a, I don't know, we mythologize this industry. We love books. It's yes. a, it's a, the, being an author is such a mythic thing in our minds and we build it up so high. And yet, like we were, you know, in the book, we talk about the shadow of traditional publishing. Yeah. The reality is not usually like the myth. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> but the thing is, and I think the empowerment of this is look, realizing, okay, so what's the worst that can happen? You let's say you do license this book. Um, let's say you get very little money for it because that's the reality of, of this type of thing. Highly likely. Yeah. yeah. Let's say you get an editor and they want all these changes and you work on changes and then eventually it gets published and nothing happens. Uh, you don't get any marketing and mm-hmm. you maybe you sell a couple of thousand copies and then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and maybe you lose control of that book, but does it even matter? Because you are a creative, you are an author, you write another book. And you already mm-hmm. said you're you're kind of done with that one. Yep. Um so I would I almost feel like that seems like a good book to license to a publisher. Mm-hmm. Because um why not? Give it a yeah. go. <laughs> Exactly. I don't know. And how how do you happens. feel by by me challenging you in this way? Oh, I love it. I love it. Because I think it's it's unusual to be in a position with someone who's like thinking about this in the same way. And mm. I because we are the things that I I loved reading this book, because I'm like, yep, we're two years apart, read that book, loved it, read that book, loved it, read it, it just felt it, it felt like a little reunion. This is your life reading through <laughs> your book. So it feels um, very validating to have this level of discourse about Mm. what needs to happen next. And from a, because I have spoken to a lot of people about this in general, and then a lot of them I notice have a lot of attachment to the traditional process. And they're Mm. like, set this book aside, wait a while, maybe it'll find its time later. And that is feeling increasingly not right for me. Yeah. Well, um, let's come back to other forms because I feel like in the past, there was a just a dichotomy of 
self-publishing, which meant uploading onto Amazon um, or traditional publishing. And now things are so nuanced now. Things are, There are so many options. And I did want to mention Kickstarter because you do yeah. have an audience, right? You have an audience, which is people who listen to this show. It's people on your newsletter, people on your social media. And what I love about Kickstarter, so I'll bring in my memoir, which I put out earlier this year. It's called Pilgrimage. Yeah. I mean, this book, this is like my midlife memoir about walking in the pandemic and menopause and all of this. I mean, it sounds so- perfect to me. I was, well, I, I was so thrilled with your references to it in the in the shadow book. Oh, well, thank you. Well, what's so funny is I knew that I had to write that book. Like there was something, you know, we all know the muse was telling me you should write this book. And I was like, no one is going to buy this book. This is ridiculous. This is like a combination of a pilgrimage religion book and a, a solo walking book and a kind of memoir. And, and I was like, this is crazy. And then doing a pivot yeah, doing I, one one just yes. one thought okay so as this is going on we also have um Catherine May who's written the electricity mm. of every living thing and we've got Rainer Wynn who has written a series of books that are basically memoirs freaking out at midlife while walking long distances both of which were UK Guardian bestsellers and I believe on the New York Times as well yeah they were so. super super big but I, I think I'm just back very to... interested what what in your shadow thought that yours if two women who were also in midlife writing these books had done so brilliantly well with this topic why mm. was yours so uniquely difficult no one would care uh, I think mainly because of the pilgrimage aspect um mm. the Christian the word pilgrimage is so religious and and I'm not a Christian. If it, if it had been a Christian book for a Christian market, right. I think that, um, but it kind of falls through the gap because I'm more interested in religious religion as the history side or the spirituality side. But that definitely um, was difficult. But I, I think the point coming back to Kickstarter and why I want you mm. to think about it is when I thought about neither of these ways of publishing is good for this book because Traditional publishing means, well, no one's going to want this book for traditional publishing. Um, It just falls through all the gaps. And then self-publishing, the business model generally is that you put a book out and then every month it sells a few copies for a long, long time. That's, you know, instead of the spike amount of the traditional publishing. But this one, I was like, what if if I tap into my audience and get paid for the book up front, almost like an advance, then I, then I can self-publish it everywhere else and it will continue making money. And so that Kickstarter made like around, I guess, around 30,000 US dollars for the Kickstarter. And then it's just continued to sell every month. And so th- it's very unlikely I would have made that money from a traditional publisher as an advance. Right. And now it's easy to sell because it's so keyword specific and all of that. I'm doing ads and um, and keep it going. But I think the point is with your little, uh, not say little, I mean, your, I'm sure it's a slim book, but um, like Pilgrimage, you know, these books are special, they're individual. And sometimes doing a Kickstarter will mean we give it more love marketing wise mm-hmm. than we would if we just self-published it. Um and so why I want to encourage people to think about these different ways of publishing is it isn't just the either or anymore. There are so many different ways. Oh, definitely. And I think that there is there is the possibility with Kickstarter, and I've seen other books work this way, that you then have more budget to hire someone to do the cover design that you really want and to produce the book and maybe to do a a hardback edition if you want Mm. and there there are these ways to sort of lean into it and I think that for some people publishing independently the fear is like well then I have to pay an editor and then I have to pay all of these people but Kickstarter really allows you to invest in the production of the book so that it is Mm. the book that you want. Yeah, absolutely. In this writing the shadow, the uh, there is a gold um, cover version with gold foil and a ribbon uh-huh. in the hardback. And doing gold foil is a big deal. Um, yes. And so I wouldn't, I won't be, I'll only be offering that as part of the Kickstarter, and then it will just have a normal cover uh, uh, on on the various stores. And you're exactly right. I'm only doing it because I'll get paid up front, and then I will do the print ordering. Um, again, it's a different way of thinking about it, but. I don't know, I feel like this comes back to the original thought around the shadow in publishing, 
is that we so, again, mythologize and hold up one way of publishing as the right way, that that's when maybe some of the stigma and the shame, like shame is a big thing around. Huge. Yeah, huge. Um, And so if you feel like, oh, well, if I said I self-published, I'm going to feel ashamed. Like people still ask me all the time. And I've been doing this like 15 years now as a self-published author. Um, Oh, you must feel uh, the stigma. And I'm like, "Uh, nope. <laughs> I'm a very successful businesswoman and I've been full time for, you know, 12 years or whatever. So no. Um but when people ask me that, then I understand that's how they are feeling. They're feeling that if they self-published, they would feel some kind of shame around that because you're not picked by someone else. Um there's no validation like you mentioned the guardian. The guardian is responsible for so much shadow in the educated <laughs> class. So <laughs> so much because if you're not anointed by these traditional publishers as such then you're not worthy so there's so much self-esteem tied up in all this um which again I think as creatives who have a lot of things we want to write I have so many books I want to write and get out into the world but I almost feel like you need to unblock some of these fears uh, that are holding you back um and sort of question okay so why do I think that way? like why why do i think their opinion is the main thing and i wonder again if it's because we're of the age we are that's kind of how we were brought up and yeah you know younger people i think don't necessarily feel so in a box around this stuff yeah i agree i mean i think there is this sense you know i think we can remember or at least in the us it wasn't that long before i was born that or it might have even been right at the time, that women couldn't necessarily get bank accounts separate yeah. from a man, which is astonishing to me to mm. say out loud that this is like something that touches my lifespan. But it's true. And I think about members of my family and my grandparents and what was possible for them. And so we're not that far from my grandmother who wanted to take a physics class and was told by the teacher, I don't get girl, I don't teach girls, please get out of my classroom. Wow. And so I think that there is this, we're, we're in the door. And of course, women have been writing for centuries, just like men mm. have, it's just they haven't gotten as much recognition. And so it's like, I think there is this historical shadow of, wait, Am I allowed to be here? Am I allowed? Yeah. yeah. Where is my permission? And I, I do yeah. like to mention Virginia Woolf, who with her yeah. husband set up a press, a small press. So Virginia Woolf was self-published. She did put out her own books, you know, as did Walt Whitman, as did a whole load of the the early writers. Um, but Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, so it's not like, oh, that's something we do today. It's something that's kind of always happened um but yeah so I guess coming back to why looking at the shadow side is good for you it's it's almost like if you can instead of instead of denying that we feel a certain way um and instead of reacting saying no no I I I'm not doing that because x when that might not be the reason if we can delve down into these feelings and it's difficult no one said this was easy but if we can delve down into these things and we can um figure out how to incorporate them into our lives we can move forward and so what i would love is for on by the time we have another conversation and i mm. hope you'll come back on my podcast to talk about your it. next non-fiction book about the psychology of of writing i do hope that book will have a chapter about perfectionism and fear of judgment oh, 100% and all of that but I also hope you've published a short story <laughs> okay I will accept that challenge yeah, I will accept that challenge see how it how it feels it's so funny you say it's about the fiction because I agree one of the things I still I will not do and I'm no I, I shouldn't say it like that I don't want to do but I need to read my fiction out loud at events I don't do that. I speak. I'm a paid speaker around the world, yeah, right? Exactly. But the thought of standing up in front of people and reading from my fiction terrifies me because, oh, as you say, it means yeah. so much. And we have to remember that. But we also need to get it out in the world. And yes. we need to to take that fear of judgment. Like I said, use a pseudonym. Um, 
But the more books you have out there or the more work you have to be judged, the less you feel judged. That's kind of how I felt about it. Oh, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's because, yes, there is this thought of like, if if I put this out there, as long as we are thinking that whatever the reaction is defines whether or not this was a quote unquote valuable use of our time yeah. writing this thing, then there is fear about it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just it's just always going to be there. And as long as the the sort of locus of judgment or the responsibility of determining whether or not this is my most hated word good, yeah, the most useless quality quality is a difficult quality. One. It's just I could go on for another hour of just how useless it is to say something is good because if it's not something you enjoy reading, it doesn't matter how brilliant it is. There is no good. It's 100% subjective. And yet that quality and good and literary is what has you and many other people and me for many years tied up in knots. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that's what we are trying to attain is something we've built up in our own minds. And yet that isn't who we are. We're never going to be that perfect person and so many people are ripped apart creatively because someone said something and I I put in the book for me it was you know my teacher when I was like 12 years old you can't write that and it took me like 15 years or whatever it was 23 years I think before I could write again fiction because I was told you can't write that and I almost feel like the traditional publishing industry has a similar effect I mean we see it the classic example is the romance authors who mm-hmm. are usually, even though they earn the most money and that the genre is the biggest in publishing, they like prop up everyone else <laughs> with their huge outputs and, and, and brilliant books. Let's face it, Colleen Hoover right now is like yeah. the biggest author yeah, in the planet. Yeah, you mentioned her and it's oh, such people a good story. Love, yeah, people love her books. And yet romanced authors have been belittled yeah. as worthless and like silly women. Um, you know, I know there are some male writers, but often it is women being belittled. Um, and many people who write romance feel they have to keep it hidden or they have to say they write women's fiction <laughs> or something. To, so as to, and not all women's fiction is romance, but you know, there's ways that we're, we have to adjust based on other people's reactions. So I guess the challenge to everyone listening is to figure out your the shadow in your creativity, what is holding you back from writing what you want to write, but also publishing what you want to put out there and figure out where that came from. Like, can you track it back to me, like my teacher at school and then like you over-educated, kind of told that there's a specific thing you have to write yeah. um, before realizing I could kind of move on from that. And then, yes, try to move through that self-censorship. I feel like society tries to censor us in many ways, but we censor ourselves as well. Oh, we 100% do. I just had a memory, actually, as you were mm. saying that. And I think I know what this is. <gasps> tell I us, tell us. <laughs> I was really encouraged to be in creative writing classes from when I was really little. So everybody was very positive about the whole thing, um, which was great. And I went to writing camps and I did all of this stuff. But in high school, I took a creative writing class. And there was a guy in the group who wrote fiction that was like in a way directed violently at me Mm. so he called me all the time he would call me at home he would just call he got my number somehow and he was basically a stalker Mm. and um and he wrote this story in which this he was clearly very in touch with his shadow because he wrote this story in which he sort of murdered me in his mind in the class and I was so horrified that I ran out of it. And it took me a really long time to feel comfortable to go back to the class. And so I think actually it's that I'm afraid that something like that will happen if I put my work out, that there will be that this attention for being a fiction writer, that getting attention for being a fiction writer in a larger way will bring people like that back into my orbit. Ooh, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm sure people listening are. That's really powerful. Yeah, I think I hadn't thought about it this way until this moment. Well, okay. So that fear of being exposed 
is another reason that people write under a pseudonym. Mm. So I'm wondering if you're going to feel a lot more released if you try, even if it's like like I do with your initials. So for me, becoming JF Penn instead of Joanna Penn makes a real difference. It really helps me. But this is really interesting. So the fear of being exposed and the fear of, I guess, being attacked, this is a very mostly female fear. Oh, I, I agree. Totally. Yeah. So in order to, so now you've thought that, then as people listening, the idea is to, okay, how do we incorporate that and work through that in order to move forward? Because there is, a, I mean, and I should also say to be responsible, if people listening, if you do have to be, look after yourself doing this process, because things that come up for you, it may be that this was a stalker. For some people, it may have been actual harm. Yeah. Um, so I want people to look after yourself. <laughs> yeah, get going... a post office box, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But also if you need to see a therapist as part yeah. of this kind yeah, of yeah, process, yeah. then please do. But let's just take that one. In terms of the reality of being an author, let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. The fact is you're going to publish a book. How it, People publish millions of books like all the time. Most books will sink and no one will ever even know they are published. So True. what's interesting is we're afraid of success. That fear of being seen, the fear of that is not the reality. What then happens is you're like, oh my goodness, I finally got over my fear of being seen. And you put the book out and, and then no one it. sees it anyway. <laughs> and then you're like, why is no one buying my book? You're like, I'm... I did all that work. And now they were supposed to come in and buy it in droves. Yeah. And now I'm afraid of obscurity. And that's actually the truth of a lot of traditionally published authors, let alone self-published authors, which is oh, my book is out there. Nobody cares. And so it's interest. It was going to be interesting to see what happens once yeah. you can move past this and whether it will then shift. Um, but as you say, look after yourself, use PO boxes, but you're a woman on social media. I'm sure like myself, you've had all the creepy stuff oh, yeah. that happens. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, yeah, I guess it just feels different because of the book, because this experience was like me at 16 or 17. Yeah. And I just didn't have the resources that I have now to exactly. hold a boundary. But it goes back to this place of, <gasps> I can't, I'm not able to protect myself. And because it's bound up in what we care about the most, because like I said at the beginning, we're book people, we're word people, we're mind people. And I want everyone to think about who is that young person. It generally is like we've been, it is a young person as Mm -hmm. us, like me as a kid as well. And we're told things and we internalize them. And then even years later, decades later, they're still freezing us in our tracks and we can't get past them. So I'm so grateful you shared that memory on the the show. I'm, I'm grateful you asked such good questions. On my show, you're doing all of this work. It's amazing. Uh, well, I, and you know, this is my hope with this book, um, Writing the Shadow, it's called, is that, and I think the best thing to do when you write a book is to think, look, this book changed my own life. I hope it changes other people's. I hope it touches people. But if it doesn't, then such is life. But I think even just that one thing for you, if that makes a difference to you being able to publish or if someone listening, if there's something we said that has triggered something or made you think, then that's what we want, isn't it? We want to change people's lives with our work. Um, And I think the reason this book has taken me 25 years or so is because it has meant so much to me. It it does mean a lot and it has a lot of me in it. And oh my goodness, I'm before we started on the call, my heart was hammering just as much as anything else. I'm terrified of judgment. Uh, You know, I know that people... A lot of people won't like this. A lot of people hate like the word triggered and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, is is, is it worth it? And then I think it is worth it, you know, and I I hope that will encourage other people listening. You must put that book of your heart out in the world because who else can do it? Yeah, no one can. It's your it's your Mm. book and your story. So I hope that they will read Writing the Shadow and work 
work on this too and and figure out what it is it's going to be different than either of ours but whatever Mm. it is there that's that's tripping you up it's worth getting to the other side of it so that we get to have your book Mm, exactly and only you and that's coming back to what we said at the beginning put as much of that into your work as you can and and almost I feel like you tiptoe towards it each time you may not be able to share everything like you said those earlier books you Mm -hmm. weren't happy with them and the reason you weren't is because you weren't a good enough writer yet to be able to release aspects of yourself but by book 45 (laughs) this is like my 45th book you're like should should I share this I think I will Like, I think it's time. I think I'm ready. I think it is. And what's interesting, I mean, I use the coming back to Plato's chariot. You know, I said at the end of the book, I want to let my dark horse run and do more of the things that I haven't been doing because I think they're too weird. Um, and now I'm going to be like, no, do you know what? I think it's time to just see what happens um, and give it a go. Uh, but yes, it, I, uh, is it okay to share where people can find it yes of course yeah okay so if people are interested writing the shadow turn your inner darkness into words it is on kickstarter between the 9th and the 25th of october 2023 and you can find that at thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book um and then it's going to be uh available in all different places but that link will redirect depending on when you are listening uh in the world but it will be on all stores everywhere in all formats in early 2024 and if you want that gold foil, you better yes. go. You better get in there quickly. <laughs> Come join the Kickstarter. And of course, I'll be told I have my podcast, the Creative Pen Podcast. And I have an interview with you about yes. writing the tarot. And you're also in the book because tarot, of course, is a good way to tap into the shadow. So yeah. And is also an excellent image of the chariot. Yes. The chariot card has this same image of the the two horses almost always that we were discussing. And it made me think of it in the first second. And I hadn't even connected that. Oh, really? I was like, oh, that's where the image of the chariot card comes from. It's from Plato. How fun. There we go. And that's a a Jungian synchronicity, I guess. There we go. These things that come up. Well, thank you so much for having me, Caroline. Oh my goodness. It's been such an honor as always. And so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Today, we discuss Miro. Listen, when it comes to running client workshops, the dream, of course, is to get those creative juices flowing, right? But typically what ends up happening is thousands of hours get wasted because of poorly facilitated meetings. So I have Maya with me today. She's a consultant who runs Fortune 100 workshops from leadership training to team building, and she has the insider tip on what makes things work. Maya? Thank you, Jason. I've been doing this a long time. My number one tip is to bring everyone into that visual collaboration platform. So personally, I use Miro and it's completely changed how I interact with the room. You have to give people a way to feel like they're in the room, even when they're not. That's something you can do easily in Miro. Otherwise, they've seen the same slides and format thousand times. Falling asleep, eyes glazing over, yawns, all that. Exactly. When people follow me on the Miro board, everyone is literally going on a journey with me. We're adding thoughts, we're reacting, and we're voting for the best ideas. It's great. Connective magic. I like it. That's M-I-R-O dot com.